Hi, this is Annika. Welcome to the Not My Problem podcast. Let's have some long overdue, uncomfortable conversations. Hello, welcome back. Hi. And welcome to episode seven. And as per usual, we do a recap of last, um, the last episode, which was on tough conversation and having them and how to learn about your own communication skills and how to best absorb and talk to other people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's quite useful for both of us, right? Yeah, I really enjoyed recording this episode because it made me kind of reflect back on some of the hard tough conversations I had in the past and how they went and it was interesting for me sharing um, how I approached those and also think about how I can better myself um, within that space and I hope you also took something useful away yeah. from listening to this to the last episode and if you haven't uh, please do <laughs> yeah <laughs> so if you haven't listened uh, please go back and listen I think it ties in really nicely with our episode five I want to say which is on mental health And tough conversations, obviously, are part of mental health and taking care of your own mental health. But yeah. And today we're bringing you another uh, new topic, which is a tough topic, um, but it's going to be quite different. It will be less, uh, it will will be more factual and less subjective, but I hope you will learn a lot. um, Because again, Annika and I did learn quite a bit Mm. um, researching this episode. So, without further ado, we're way too joyful for this project. Oh, no. oh, God. Anyway, it is, we're talking about environmental racism. We are indeed. And yeah. yeah. It, is a, it is a concept within the environmental justice movement. So it's like right on point, right, right down our alley. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, Annika, why did, don't you take away with a uh, definition? Yes, we have obviously a definition for you, and it goes as follows. Environmental racism refers to any policy, practice, or directive that differentially affects or disadvantages, and it's regardless of whether it's intended or unintended, individuals, groups, or communities based on race or color. Yes, thank you for Mm -hmm. that. So you can imagine how environmental racism impacts the health of communities affected by poor uh, environment, And it's mostly due, as you might be aware, um, of the fact that very often um, such poor communities are um, impacted by exposure to hazardous chemicals and toxins um, due to those uh, chemical and toxins being dropped into landfills and rivers. Um, That's just one of the many factors that we'll Mm -hmm. go on to um, talk about today. But um, yeah, I just want to emphasize that minority populations are exposed to greater environmental health risks than white people. And that is according to the Environmental Protection Agency or EPA. Yes. And to break it down further, we found some research by Chavez et al. that breaks down um, environmental racism into a number of different categories. The first one being racial discrimination in defining environmental policies and discriminatory enforcement of regulations and laws, the deliberate targeting of minority communities as hazardous waste dumping sites, uh, the official sanctioning of dangerous pollutants in minority communities, and finally, the exclusion of people of color from environmental leadership positions. Okay, and uh, just to give you a bit more facts and information uh, around the topic, um, as Annika just mentioned, the term environmental racism was coined by Benjamin Benjamin Chavez uh, in 1982. 
and he was in fact the previous executive director of the United Church of Christ, UCC, um, commissioned for racial justice. And um, the environmental justice movement began, in fact, around the same time as the civil rights movement. Yes, exactly. And it, the whole idea behind environmental justice is really to combat barriers preventing equal access to work, recreation, education, religion and safe neighborhoods. And whilst the term was coined in the US, it also occurs at an international level. And as with most of these causes in response to the cases of environmental racism, there are a number of grassroots organizations now and campaigns that have just brought more attention to it and helped to influence policymaking and emphasize the importance of having input from minorities in policymaking. Okay, so today we would like to talk about two main causes of uh, environmental racism. The first one being human causes and the second one being uh, climate change. So when it comes to uh, human causes, we can identify four factors which uh, lead to environmental racism. The first one is a lack of affordable land. Second one is a lack of political power. The third one is a lack of mobility. And then the fourth one is poverty. Um, so cheap land is sought uh, after by corporations and governmental bodies. And as a result, uh, communities which cannot effectively resist these corporations and governmental bodies cannot access political power and then cannot nego negotiate just costs. Um, and um, also communities with minimized so socio-economic mobility cannot relocate and that is a direct result of uh, environmental racism. Mm -hmm. And also when you think about like the lack of financial contributions also reduces a whole community's ability to act both, act both physically and politically. So an example of this would be um, minority communities often do not have the financial means, resources and political representation to oppose hazardous waste sites. So they are known as locally unwanted land users or LULUs and these facilities that benefit the whole community often reduce the quality, life, quality of life of minority communities. So a good example would be a new waste site or facility might help the whole city but specific minority communities might be adversely impacted by this. And so these neighborhoods, they may also depend on the economic opportunities that size brings, but they are reluctant to oppose it as the location is at the risk of their own um, health, mm -hmm. yes. effectively. Um, we can also think of um, processes such as suburbanization or gentrific gentrification or decentralization that lead to patterns of environmental racism. So for example, the process of suburbanization, um, or also known as uh, white flight, it consists of non-minorities leaving industrial zones for safer, cleaner, and less expensive suburban uh, lo locales. Mm. Uh, but meanwhile, minority communities are left in the inner cities and in close proximity to polluted industrial zones. So in these areas, un unemployment is often high and businesses are less likely to invest in areas of um, improvement, creating poor economic conditions for residents and reinforcement, reinforcing a social, inf social formation that reproduces racial inequality. So it's kind of a, a loop or a circle that uh, keeps sort of feeding itself and uh, the gap becomes uh, wider and deeper.
So, for example, um, hazardous waste facility developers might want to take into consideration the poverty of uh, property owners uh, and residents in municipalities um, because they're trying to, they're interested in areas with depressed real estate values that will cut their expenses, right? So this is what we mean by um, a circle or a system that keeps um, increasing. Yeah, that increases oppression effectively for minority communities and obviously um, there are many different human factors that contribute towards discriminations and we listed one right now but we also want to talk briefly about climate change um, before we go into more detailed examples. Climate change is another uh, huge problem we are facing today and um, it is one of the causes of um, environmental racism as well. So we just wanted to briefly talk about this um, a little bit. So uh, there is a collision between environmental racism and the global global climate change crisis because impacted um, the populations that are more impacted by climate change are also the populations that are um, um, suffering the most, like poorer communities, so on and so forth. And many argue that the overlap between environmental racism and um, cl- climate change um, has indeed disproportionately affected different communities and populations throughout the world due to disparities in socioeconomic status. So it's easy to imagine how people in, in the West or in richer communities have a better way kind of, of protecting themselves from the impact of climate change compared to those um, in poorer communities. Exactly. And one of the things we want to do now is talk a little bit about how this um, is reflected in the UK because we're currently both UK based and I think that's the most um, or the best example we can both speak on really. So our first example here is air pollution in the UK and it has been identified as an issue that is um, affecting minority ethnic and racial groups more than um, those who don't identify as for example black British. A British government report um, nationally for those who live in areas overlapping the motorway and a road network in England on average ethnic groups not classified as white British are exposed to 17.5% higher concentrations of PM10 across different areas um, and individuals identifying as black or black British African are exposed to the highest level of, of PM10 of up to almost 30% to compared to white British people. And Anika, can you clarify with, for us what is PM10? Of course I can. Um, so basically PM10 is um, or describes inhalable particles that have a diameter that are generally 10 micrometers and smaller and when breathed in they penetrate deep into your lungs so uh, exposure to high concentrations of PM10 can result in a number of health impacts ranging from like you know coughing, wheezing to asthma attacks, bronchitis, high blood pressure, heart attacks, strokes, and even premature okay. death. So to put it yeah. in simple terms, <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, when you're breathing on in the underground through like a, a cloth and then mm. you see like how it's all black. Is that what PM10 Yes, is? basically that's what PM10 is. That's like nice. your visible PM10. Nice, nice. Okay, cool. Yeah. Cool, cool. <laughs> Another very important thing, um, point is 
access to parks, green spaces, and natural environment. So the most affluent 20% of council wards have five times the amount of parks or general green spaces uh, per person than the most deprived 10% of wards. Um, so wards with a population with fewer than 2% black and minority ethnic residents have six times as many parks and 11 times more public green spaces as wards where more than 40% of the population are people from black and minority ethnic groups. So if that was like too many numbers, which I think it was for me, <laughs> to recap kind of the uh, wards with more black and minority ethnic uh, residents have basically less green spaces and access to parks. And we all know how important for your health um, access to, to green spaces is. Um, so yeah, that is a clear reflection of environmental racism. Yeah, and it's not just health, right? It's also mental health. Like uh, being... mental health is not health. <laughs> it is health, honey. <laughs> I we went through this episode two point five. <laughs> I wanted to clarify. Right, Thank right. you very much. <laughs> Are we still recording? Oh shit. Okay. <laughs> oh, so yeah. Um, as we all know. Or have just found out, apparently I like talking about chemicals and harmful <laughs> chemicals. And another important point really is the exposure to harmful chemicals that are not just from, um, you know, the air breathability. So um, a Friends of the Earth report found that 82% of all carcinogenic chemical emissions were released by factories um, in the most deprived 20% um, council areas or council wards. And the report really suggested that because of 70% of all people from ethnic minorities in the UK live in the 88 most deprived wards, this exposure to harmful chemicals really disproportionately affects um, people in those areas. Mm. The next example we want to give you is um, about proximity to waste and landfill sites. So there was an investigation by the Environment Agency into environmental justice in South Yorkshire that revealed that in South Yorkshire, uh, people that are within the lowest 10% of salaries are likely to be living next to a recycling site, a waste transfer site or a landfill site as the rest of the population and three times more likely to be living near to an amenity site. Um, and in the UK as a whole, deprived communities are more likely to live near waste sites except landfill sites where it is the least deprived populations that are located nearby. Yes, um, and another example is the export of products banned for sale in the UK, for example. So there's a company called InnoSpec, um, and they're based in Ellesmere Port, and I hope I pronounced this correctly. And it is really the last remaining manufacturer of tetrathyl lead in the world. Also, again, I hope I pronounced this correctly. Which is it's just basically an anti-knocking agent in gasoline and jet fuel. And it's added to petrol in order to reduce the ignition of vapors. Um, but yeah, anyway, this product is banned for general sale in the UK. But it has been exported to countries such as Afghanistan, Burma, Iraq and Yemen. And the firm has admitted paying bribes to foreign officials. Mm. So a journalist called George Monbiot has argued that Introspect was let off lightly for the bribery and has termed the continued permissiveness in allowing Introspect to export its product um, as environmental racism, which it's easily to, you can easily see this, right? Yeah. Yeah, this is kind of outrageous. 
it, it is, especially when you admit it publicly yeah. and yet you continue. Yeah. I wonder how many others um, are doing the same shit. Like, just don't admit it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, lots, probably. Uh, so, anyways, what is being done right now? Um, there are um, a few UK NGOs uh, that are working on these issues, um, uh, the issues around environmental inequalities. So, for example, Friends of the Earth uh, are doing some work on issues around environmental justice and inequalities. In 2001, they published a briefing on environmental justice with the ECRC um, and the ESRC, sorry, and they have also published a report on social exclusion and transport in Bradford. Um, they also have a particularly strong focus on environmental justice, um, especially in Scotland, and they have conducted research into um, into inequalities and exposure to air pollution, and they have they they are also actively campaigning for that. Um, exactly, and another NGO called Capacity Global. They are a think tank that works on issues um, around environmental justice and environmental inequality. And the London Sustainability Exchange has also worked on environmental inequalities, specifically, um, you know, impacting London. And finally, there's Groundwork UK, again, another UK um, NGO, and it does a report called Fair and Green, which examines the relationship between environmental problems, deprivation and social justice and really focuses on the issues on environmental inequalities. Yes, and this is by no means a exclusive list of yeah. current efforts in the UK, but it is some, um, yeah, just like a, a bit of hope yeah. <laughs> uh, that uh, some people are doing things um, to yeah help us yeah to address this it. issue. Um, so it's not all grim and dark, but mm. uh, yeah, I think it was very interesting to see like how environmental racism manifests itself in uh, in the UK. Yes, and I think one of the things that we've said in the beginning is that while the term was coined in the US and we've named some examples from the UK, we also want to give you an idea of how environmental racism actually looks on in different countries and continents. So um, again, as I've said, the list is not complete. And we just want to point out some of the most recent examples, examples, examples. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you, you made it. <laughs> I made it, honestly. <laughs> yeah, so if, if, for example, if we look into Asia, so um, in China specifically, from the mid-1990s until about 2001, it was estimated that uh, some 50 to 80% of the electronics collected for recycling in the western half of the United States was being exported for dismantling overseas, predominantly to China and Southeast Asia. Um, in Giyu, I hope I said that right, Giyu, mm-hmm. China, is one of the largest recycling sites for e-waste, where heaps of discarded uh, computer parts rise near the uh, riverbanks and compounds such as uh, cadmium, copper, lead, uh, BPDES, please don't ask me what it is, um, <laughs> contaminate the, the and all of these all of these um, products and and um, waste contaminate the local water supply. Exactly, and actually, a ba- the Basel Action Network took water samples in two thousand and one from from the Liangjiang River, and it contained lead levels a hundred and ninety times higher than the World Health Organization safety standards. Oof. And you know, despite the 
contaminated drinking water, residents continue to use it and um, you know, over expensive trucked in supplies of drinking water are being just, you know, sold and dispersed in the region, not just impacting people's health, but also financially, really. Mm. And nearly 80% of children um, in the e-waste hub of Guiyu in China suffer from lead poisoning um, and other illnesses, according to recent reports. I just want to repeat that nearly 80% yeah, of children. Horrendous, right? That is uh, 8 out of 10 yeah. children. And if you think about it, like obviously this area was not always an electronic waste site. So previously it was, you know, composed of small farms who made their living in the agriculture business. Yeah, but like now actually farming has been abandoned for more lucrative work in scrap electronics, um, unfortunately. And according to the Western press and both Chinese university and NGO researchers, conditions in these workers' rural villages are so poor that even the primitive electronic scrap industry in Giyu offers uh, an improvement in income. Yeah, just imagine, yeah. like, you are better off financially with your income from that e-waste side yeah. than re rebelling or doing farming or anything else. Yeah. It's so you're basically stuck, like you have no choice. Yeah, but. it is. This, it's like a vicious cycle because it's not gonna change anytime soon probably yeah. okay let's head to a different continent um africa so obviously similar to the above mentioned e-waste site above mentioned i'm sorry i am obviously reading my script <laughs> I, meant, I, meant, I went into academic talk mode here <laughs> Um, but anyway, um, there are there are also dumps um, of that you know shape or form in different African countries, and toxic waste and electronic waste is generated from a wide range of industries. So we're not just talking um, you know communications, telecommunications, and technology, but also health, hydrocarbon or manufacturing, and it comes in many forms such as uh, sludges or gas. And whilst you know, e-waste is used um, for electronic items that are nearing the end of their useful life and they're discarded or recycled, if these types of waste aren't properly discarded, they can cause serious harm to human health and the environment. And proper disposal of those, you know, toxic and of this toxic waste is expensive. Yeah, and because of this, um, a market has been created and some companies and independent waste brokers uh, circumvent laws. They disguise toxic waste, uh, toxic waste as unharmful and e-waste as reusable electronics. That's Imagine. ridiculous, yeah. isn't it? Honestly. <laughs> How could you do this job? Yeah, yeah. You must have no soul, I don't know. Um, and then it is like, then this, this toxic waste is then exported to countries in the West and in Central Africa, where it is uh, often disposed of uh, unethically, obviously, at dump sites. Yeah, and obviously Western companies and businesses, uh, primarily those in Europe and US, target countries such as Nigeria, Ghana and Côte d'Ivoire. My French friend, would you like to say this in French, please? No, no, okay. uh, as the dump of their toxic waste. And, you know, they know, obviously, they all have the knowledge. They know the physiological and environmental effects of this waste. They just yeah. don't care. They just don't care, yeah.
Okay, so how about if we look at another region of the, the world now, maybe the Americas? Sounds good. Um, so one area or one country we can talk about really is Haiti. And obviously, you know, there are legacies of racism that already exist in Haiti. But one way that is really reflected is in the way that food is perceived. So generally speaking, food grown locally is viewed differently to food compared um is viewed differently compared to food that's grown or imported from foreign countries, right? Yeah, and that's a clear legacy of racism. Yeah, right? exactly. Like, yeah. So um, there are some racially coded hierarchies that are associated with food that differ in that differs in their in its origin. So again, locally versus or country wide versus foreign. And um, survey respondents reported that foods such as millet and root crops are associated with negative connotations, while foreign-made foods such as cornflakes and spaghetti are associated with positive connotations. And obviously this reliance on imports over domestic products reveals how racism really ties into commercial tendencies and a reliance on imports can increase, obviously, you know, costs, fossil fuel emissions and further social inequality as local farmers are losing business and therefore money. Yes, and um, environmental racism is also very much present in the Andes, where um, the concept of extractivism, which is the process of uh, humans removing natural and or raw resources from land to be used in product manufacturing, has had a detrimental environmental and social um, has had detrimental environmental and social repercussions. Um, there is in fact research that has analyzed the environmental conflicts in four uh, Indian countries, um, which are Colombia, Ecuador, Peru, and Bolivia. And it found the research found that uh, conflicts tend to um, disproportionately affect indige- indigenous populations and those with Afro descent and local communities. And these conflicts can arise as a result of shifting economic patterns, uh, land use policies and social practices due to extractivist um, industries. So, yeah, I hope this gives you kind of a a bit of an overview how environmental racism is present across the world, uh, always affects um, disadvantaged communities. And um, hopefully it gets you... started like to start thinking about how and what can we do uh, about that yes and um, obviously for this season we introduced our personal takes and I just want to I'm just going to take it away here (laughs) I'm going to get started Um, obviously admittedly before doing the research on this topic I wasn't as well educated in the subject I was aware of climate change and I was aware of racism and the impact it has on our life and how we live but I didn't necessarily connect the dots. So that is certainly my gut feeling on this and how I've approached it. And it was really nice to learn more and do some research on it. Yeah, what I take away from this is that I need to keep learning about this for sure. Because, Mm. yeah, as Annika, yes, I was aware that, or I had some sort of idea that obviously richer countries and mostly the West are responsible for most of the... Uh, fossil fuel um, um, and, and gas emissions and all of that but then I also had an understanding that the populations um, which suffer the most from it are not necessarily the ones causing the most um, yeah. uh, impact or harmful impact to the earth so I kind of 
had a broad understanding of that. But what I never fully considered were things like within big cities, for example, the disparities that there, there are, um, for example, like in London, in places in, like London where the nicest parks and access to green areas are always in the nicest um, boroughs, um, yeah. which means that, again, the poorer... Um, the poor wards are left with less access to these spaces. Um, I, I never, never really thought about that in that lens. So, yeah, yeah, lots to learn. Honestly, the thing that shocked me the most is the audacity of some business owners yeah. to just recycle waste and just to blatantly lie yeah. and hire people and they're people who use the legal knowledge to basically make the world yeah, a worse people place. just don't give a fuck hey it's mm. like oh and again it's because if you've got money you're not really too worried about climate change no. and and all of that because again you can just move into a place that's got loads of like green nice places yeah. um and so you don't really need to to care about that so i just found it very sad yeah yeah honestly but obviously we also have a small section on how to make a change and to make the world a little bit of a better place. And again, um, I think this is a really important note for anyone. Um, you can't be the perfect environmentalist. You can't be the perfect activist. So every time we suggest that someone makes a change, make it within what is workable for you. Don't, you know, impact your mental health worse, for example, for the sake of making certain changes. It, you know, with regards to having more financial burden when already you are in a position of disadvantage. Mm -hmm. So I think that's quite important to say and just to put out there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sephora, let's go. Do you want to give us some some changes? Yeah, I mean, there are the small obvious things that we can do, as you said, if it's affordable for you. Um, recycle, limit the use of single-use plastic items, um, avoid fast fashion where you can, because this is actually really, really bad. Uh, it's much worse than, like, we haven't even had a chance to, to delve on this, but yeah. trust, it's worse than you think. So, um, and yeah, also buy local, again, if you can have, afford it. Um, do sustainable swaps, that's that's also a cool new, like, concept um, yeah. that we should try and, and, and do more of so that means like use shampoo bars or condition condition um, conditioner or soap instead of shower gel in plastic bottles um, and you can also try to be uh, intentional with uh, where you buy your products from so you can try to to favor or to 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 buy from uh, minority communities, for example, black-owned uh, businesses or any other minority business, um, if you want to kind of make up for this um, already existing um, disparity. Yeah, and then others, obviously, you know, quite obvious ones that are support grassroots organizations. You know, an example is go and clean a beach near you. In the UK, we have so many, mm. um, you know, that can can be cleaned and often are not very, you know, nice and tidy. And obviously, take public transport, bike or walk wherever you can. Try to reduce the amount of, you know, pressure you put out there on emissions. And the most obvious one, and the one that gets me really angry, is don't litter and don't fly to it. When I see someone littering... Yeah, me too. It really, really drives me crazy. Like, I do mm. not understand 
people who litter. I yeah. just like I'm it's sorry that I raised you. What's like, going what, on what, with what you? Is it? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So um, the last go. last thing I just really want to point something out here is that we should all keep in mind that these inequalities are not natural. They definitely are resulting from a geographical determinism. Um, they have historically, socially, and culture culturally emerged through the way land has developed. Certain populations are treated, um, uh, are treated natural resources are uh, exploited and economic activities are distributed. So therefore the root cause is in of this inequality. Um, so we should aim at fixing that. So depending on your location, uh, try to understand the social disparities and get to know the politicians and people in power who can do something and get involved. So that means vote, write to your MP, educate yourself. Um, yeah, really. Anything you can do. Pressure the big, the big guys essentially, because it's nice and cute to do your uh, small, your individual steps towards like, you know, um, change. Change, but ultimately, this has to be a social shift, mm. and so we have to look at the big guys. We have to, to pressure politicians and. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. On the note of making change, I'm going to go to the shout-outs straight away in terms of educating yourself. Obviously, we have three recommendations as per usual. Um, our read articles this time are by Vanjiku Gadaru, um, who has written an article entitled Want to be an environmentalist? Start with anti-racism. Mm -hmm. And then by Jane Fonda, uh, What can I do? My path from climate despair to action. And um, there is a brilliant IG account which we both have been following for a long, long time called the Intersectional Environmentalist. Yeah, and can I just say that say that I love Jane Fonda? She is mm. truly exceptional. I think so. Yeah, definitely read her work. Jane, if you listen to this, we love you. <laughs> <laughs> and then our listen recommendation is Earth the Earth Rights podcast, and finally our watch recommendation is racism and climate change are about you climate change climate change are about you by dr atia martin um yeah that's it yeah so thank you so much for listening to us i hope you learned something and i hope you'll keep educating yourself on this subject because it is serious and it's not going away yeah it's only gonna get worse honestly uh, but yeah not on that great note on that happy note <laughs> honestly the depression is setting in again <laughs> No, um, obviously, stay positive, make some change. Do the work. Do the work. Okay, and we yeah, are. Yeah, we're Bye. ending it. Bye, thanks. <laughs>